Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 75, and I'm your co-host, Nigel. I am Tazzy, content creator and co-host. And our guest for this episode is, I feel a long time coming, because we've been trying to set this up and get this get this together, and it's happened. Uh, we've got him in, uh, comic creator, fellow comic creator, Robert Luckett. Robert, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us and joining us for the first time. So this is the first time we've got Robert on the show, so looking forward to talking. We have met before, uh, we were just talking about previous convention uh, long ago. So yeah, it'd be good to uh, talk about your work as well. We'll do that a bit later. I uh, also want to remind people that you can subscribe to Story X Story on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also send us feedback and questions to feedback at myamada.com. Drop them in our Discord or throw them at us on social media. We are at myamada on Twitter, at myamadatees. Oh, no, that's the old one. We are at myamadatv TV. on Instagram. Yeah, see, I, for- I forgot the change there. Or at Tazzy on both i need to get new business cards with uh, my meta tv but at anyway, least you I'll can just like add a v on like yeah. squeeze a v in there yeah that's true just get that in there we'll we'll do that but first as always let's get started with uh, what's happening in the my meta universe so we've got a lot of things happening, kind of the, the same things, but uh, also having to navigate a busy schedule of workshops. So that's something that's definitely been happening over the past couple of weeks, just uh, with school out, loads of summer workshops. Uh, so helping loads of kids do comic stories, basically creating characters and stories. In terms of our stories and our manga, we have Serious Through the Fog still in production. I guess that's the official uh, words so we are working on the artwork i did mention it last time uh, we've had a bit of an extra delay just because we are also doing some olympics uh, comic work which has taken up uh, time as well but we're still working uh, on the serious artwork getting that ready for print uh, to send over to the printer uh, in august so yeah uh, keep an eye out for that you can pre-order uh, the comic uh, on our website and yeah, once it's done and dusted and over to the printer, we will be shouting about that and letting people know when to expect that in their hands. Uh, we are also looking at doing a some kind of launch event for it, but we're going to put together the book, get our timelines on that, and then we'll know when we can do like a launch stream. So our idea is to get different, because the book talks about entrepreneurship and particularly entrepreneurship, uh, creative entrepreneurship in the time of a pandemic, we want to yeah, get some people to talk about that and talk about the the making of the book as well. Uh, so for the, uh, I mentioned the Olympics manga, we've been creating sort of uh, mini stories, uh, four panel, four coma stories uh, to kind of celebrate the Olympics and Paralympics. So we've got more to come from that. And when that's all done and dusted, we're going to be putting that together for a free download so we'll just put all the stories together so if you're in our discord we will pop that link in our discord so people who are in the community can check that out so you're getting the through the fog that's going to come and you're getting some uh, free manga uh, as well in honor of the olympics 
over in the video games part of the MyMeta universe, we have the Autumn Gamepad online event. So we're going to be on Twitch live Saturday, the 16th of October. We're going to be bringing back Friendly Fire competition with new and old teams. I think we're going to have a, a mix. We're definitely changing up the, the games and the game modes. Tazzy and I have been talking about this. So got Overcooked. We've got Rocket League, but a different version uh, of Rocket League. I think there's going to be a, a beach ball in there somewhere, but we're going to play around with that. And we have Knockout City, the dodgeball. Uh, how I was going to say dodgeball game, but how would you describe that, Tazzy? Uh, dodgeball knockout tournament. Yeah, yeah, game. some <laughs> combination of those words. Yeah, uh, Knockout City. So we've got some teams to announce. We've also got some uh, interviews and a panel. So for this event, we're looking at doing some interviews and a panel discussion because we are coming in kind of on the, I guess, more the back end of the back to school period. We want to be talking to people about routes into the industry uh, through education and those kind of things. So yeah, stay tuned for some discussions and some announcements once we line up all the guests on that. Uh, as always, it's hosted by Tazzy. Tickets are free. And if you do have a ticket, you'll be entered into a raffle uh, to win a printed canvas version of the autumn artwork that we'll be, we will be doing for that event. We've also got our games night. So before we get to the autumn gamepad, you can watch us play another new game. This time we're going to be playing Pokemon Unite with Studio 77 members live on Twitch. So you can watch us on Thursday, the 26th of this month of August from 7 p.m. And yeah, we're going to figure out. I've, I've got it on my Switch. I need to get myself set up. Uh, we did Identity V last month and the first part of that stream was me <laughs> setting up the game because i didn't realize all the steps uh so i'm gonna try and avoid that although that was kind of entertaining but let's try and avoid that for next time and then we'll, uh, i'm just we'll unclear that. on their part yeah yeah we get to that was a long intro and uh, yeah mobas just scare me just straight up like everything to do with mobas just freak me out pokemon unite is very like introductory level it is the perfect like intro mover that's the fear though isn't it that gets you hooked and then you're, you're finding the hardest <laughs> <That's>, stuff <laughs> i'm i can't deal with like dota and league of legends league of legends there's just too much going on and i'm like i don't know, I don't know. pokemon unite is way more of like a, if you want to get really into it you can get really into it but you can definitely just pick up and play it once in a while and not feel like you are you know missing out because you're not a a god <laughs> but i don't know how long that's gonna last <laughs> all right well yeah come and see us uh take our introductory steps <laughs> into the world uh, of pokemon unite uh, and those games and then you can also check out the highlights from our past games nights we have roblox and fortnite highlights up on youtube i encourage you to check those out just so you can see us take on yeah, specifically me, because that was the first time I played either game. But yeah, we just had a good time with both. So check that out. And uh, yeah, that's some of the stuff that we've got for Maya Mada. Let's talk about everyone's story of the week. So this is the point in the podcast where we have a spoiler-free discussion about what stories people have been reading, watching or playing 
So we will start with our guest. Um, Robert, what what stories have you been consuming as of late? Uh, a big one that I finished, I think it was like last month, but I've been recommending to everyone I know, is uh, Odd Taxi, which is one of the Crunchyroll originals. It's basically an anime, of course, set in, I think, like Tokyo and Shibuya in Japan. And it's about anthropomorphic um, animals in like different jobs and stuff like that. But the main character is a taxi driver who's a walrus, uh, Odukawa. And it's about his uh, his life getting mixed up in a lot of um, shady un- uh, goings on in the city and sort of like this ongoing plot. But like as it unfolds through the episodes, it's so, so intricate, but so well sort of like told. It's like you, you really feel for a lot of these characters. They sort of like uh, drop in different aspects of their lives. It, like It's like a very like lo-fi anime. anime. It's sort of like not like filled with action but it's like it's it is chill it is like a taxi ride each episode each one has you know got some kind of someone's going from somewhere to somewhere else and uh a lot of stuff unfolds through it also it mostly takes place in the taxi it's like in between places like there's like you know like a bar that they hang out at and uh there's like some of the yakuza characters and they have a, a hangout and uh but obviously you're, you're mostly following this walrus uh, taxi driver and he's a bit of a workaholic so he is spending most of his time in the the taxi and he's he's got like insomnia uh he's he's not sleeping very well so you've got a slightly unreliable narrator aspect to the story going on as well so like is he just exhausted and not remembering things correctly but yeah it was it's you know every year i have like a sort of like an offshoot anime from uh my usual shonens that um like i really love like a, a kind of, well, this is the problem with the passage of time when was uh keep your hands off of isaacan if you if you saw that one I can't remember if that was 2019 or 2020, because those years are uh, together. <laughs> that is one year. Yeah. <laughs> That's the, the bolted together year, because I really like that one as well, because uh, that was all about sort of like an anime club making their own anime for the first time, which is very interesting from an animator's point of view. But yeah, Odd Taxi, I've been like recommended to everyone. I know not everyone has Crunchyroll, um, and I, I, you know, I don't want to be negative but some Crunchyroll originals are a bit hit and miss whereas this one is solid gold i like one more anime like how you've described the odd taxi is just more like life experience like slice of life but mature more mature not the school saying i'd say it's kind of like a like a lower energy agretico as well nice that's sort of like it's you know has similar themes, but it's not about, you know, uh, an angry red panda screaming into a microphone. <laughs> Other than that, I've, I seem to be on a big, like, cartoon animal kick at the moment. I've been watching the old Sam and Max cartoon uh, with my wife. Just a bit of brevity, I guess, in these dark times. And uh, she'd never seen it before. And I was like, this is going to explain a lot about my sense of humor. Like, just basically really wordy uh, <laughs> nonsense. I think the cartoon was from the 90s. And uh, yeah. They were always pushing the envelope in that cartoon, just sort of what can they get away with with some of the sort of like things they can allude to. But yeah, if, if people don't know Sam and Max, it started as, um, started as a comic book in the 80s and like the black and white, you know, uh, comic boom that had like the Ninja Turtles and stuff. And then Steve Purcell, the creator, went to LucasArts and helped out on like point and click adventures and they made a Sam and Max video game. Uh, and then there was also a cartoon made. So it had the whole, the whole gamut run. And it's like very wacky. It's like the this uh, detective duo, the freelance police. It's uh, it's a very sort of like strange show because like if you're looking for like cathartic action sequences, that's kind of the joke. They never do it. They just cut away and everything's solved and they just do it for like wordy dialogue of like, it's a good thing that he fell down that trapdoor at that specific time. It's like 
because the the origins of the comic was that it was um steve purcell screwing around with his younger brother's comics that he used to draw so sam and max was originally his younger brother's characters but he'd leave like these comic strips unfinished around the house and he'd come in and sort of like redraw them and like add different speech bubbles just to sort of uh to screw around with them and then it just grew from there and i think he even said his brother gave him like some kind of like little contract that he signed saying like they're yours now you do it so interesting uh, other than that, I'm keeping up with my usual shonen mangas. I'm a One Piece addict and uh, my hero academia addict. And uh, yeah, they're, they're my weeklies. And I'm I'm glad that uh, the manga creators now have like their obligated weeks off. But then I think we've just had a full week off and you get that sort of like that shivery feeling of like, oh, where's that? <laughs> Where are those updates? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so what you're saying is you're very committed. Uh, yeah, I just... yeah, that's a good way of putting it very very committed on there like uh because there's a specific time they go live or whatever on the manga plus website or whatever and i'm like there it's like straight away like on the dot as the site's crawling to load as everyone else is doing the same but yeah and I, like i've just read the one of the newer ones which is like uh the hunter's guild red hood which has sort of been created by one of the interns on my hero academia so the the art style is quite similar and that seems quite good it's all about sort of like this hunter's guild fighting giant werewolf creatures Nice. So I finally, finally got round to watching uh, Fairy Tale final season. And I had started it previously and then just stopped because it's me. And then, <laughs> and then I like restarted the final season and just binged watched the whole season. I loved the overall ending of the story but hated the final episode and if anyone's watched it like they the way they done the last two episodes was just like uh i don't know i i can't talk about it without spoiling it but also uh i know this is supposed to be a spoiler free discussion but this isn't like a big spoiler like there is a character that i swear is based off jason Stephen. <laughs> I don't know why that's just automatically funny, because <laughs> just to picture that. <laughs> Is that the only likeness? Everything else didn't have anyone based off of everyone, but just Jason Statham. Just Jason Statham. This is one character just walked in, like, just walked in. Photorealistic. And then I was like, Jason Statham? And then, like, I was watching it dubbed, and, uh, and it's even got, like, the characters even got, like, a very, like, British accent with, like, that gruff voice that he is. I was like... This is Jason Statham, and then his like, you know, his power, like his magic. I was like, if Jason Statham was an anime character, like this would be <laughs> his power. <laughs> like, I was like, this is Jason Statham. Like, how? What? Um, I'm definitely not the only person that thought that because I googled Jason Statham fairy tale, and this character came up, and it was just everyone's like, this is Jason Statham. Like, what? <laughs> Yeah, but like I was really happy that I finally finished it because Fairy Tale was like an anime I really loved when I was younger, and like I just love Happy. I love Happy so much because what's there not to love? Like you can't not love a character called Happy. And yeah, I finally got around to watching the final season. Obviously, it took a break. So yeah, I got around to that. I finished an anime I started when I was younger. I've still got to finish Naruto Shippuden. So. I'll get around to, to it eventually. They just drag it out so much at the end. <laughs> Maybe episode 175. Will... <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I also finished the Dragon Quest 
Builders 2 storyline, which if you uh, are subscribed to my YouTube channel, you'll know was like my chill out game. And I just finished the the storyline for it um, this gone weekend. Again, really hard to talk about without spoilers, but I was like really upset because kind of a character that you know in it is absent from the game for a bit. And I was like, oh, come back to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I loved I loved how it finished. It's got quite a good storyline, considering it's like the game that it is. Uh, but now the fun really begins because I get to build whatever I want. Um, and I've still got so much to do in it past the storyline. My wife was completely addicted to Dragon Quest Builders too. Really? It's such a good game. I'm like, I would have never picked this game up. Um, if it wasn't for Game Pass and it was there so I played it and I was like I love it I lo nothing appealed to me about it nothing told me I should play this game uh, it's just because I a I had my Xbox my Xbox game contract so it's like the influencer for that so I needed to play the games but also I already do play all the games but I just go through and play random games on Game Pass all the time because I want to be surprised. Because if I just go for the things I know I want to play, I'll never discover anything new. <laughs> and this one pleasantly surprised me. And it's my go-to chill-out game. Because it's just so positive. You get rewarded for, like, everything. You can't look at a slime's face and feel bad. Or yeah. Angry. It's just like that little happy <laughs> face looking back at you. Even though it's, like, one of the enemies. It's just like, it's like, it wants you to be happy. Yeah, and, like, even the enemies. Like, there's not one enemy that doesn't look like doesn't make you feel happy like they're all really quite happy <laughs> and then you make friends with monsters as well in this game so like no one's truly your enemy it's like such a beautiful game like the way it ends is so beautiful as well but yeah it's like such a feel-good game because like everyone claps for you constantly and i'm like i need this <laughs> reinforcement in my life <laughs> especially after the past year so yeah finally finished that and then I'm currently re-watching re re Inuyasha and Seven Deadly Sins because the latest season just got added to Netflix. And I don't know it's like very delayed, but yeah, I watched Seven Deadly Sins on Netflix, so okay. I'm behind. I need to catch up on that. Yeah, I'm re-watching all the previous ones, mainly because it's because I've seen it before. Because I've seen them twice before, it means I can watch them in Japanese and like work on my Japanese, but still get on with stuff. Because if I miss something, it doesn't matter. Anyway, yeah, that's me. That's what I've been watching and playing. What about you, Nigel? I've been watching a ton of stuff, especially because we had a break and I managed to squeeze some things in. But there's two things I wanted to uh, highlight. One is Kakeguri, which... Have you seen this, Tazzy? I feel like you've mentioned this. Um, The name rings a bell. So this is the anime that takes place in a school but a school where only gambling is done. Oh, yeah, 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 that, that anime. I've yeah. start, I started it, but oh boy, I can't. <laughs> Did you not get to the end of season one? Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't. I don't. And then they made a live action. Oh, really? I didn't know this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> I don't even want to. I know. I'm just thinking it. of that because uh, speaking of not appropriate for younger audiences, this is not. <laughs> this no, is not appropriate. No. no. So you've got this. So the school, like I said, and you're you start off with the 
who I thought was going to be the protagonist, like uh, Ryota. So he's a kid. He's not that great at gambling. So I think when we meet him, he's kind of down as like he owes money <laughs> to the, the student council or something. And then this new student comes in, uh, Yumiko, and uh, Ryota is given the task of showing her around. So he's like, oh, yeah, this is how the school works. Uh, there's, there's all the merit is on gambling. Uh, and she, for whatever reason, just is not phased by this. And then she just proceeds to to dive headfirst into this world, uh, this school where gambling is the currency. And this is the weirdest school because... So I've watched the whole of season one. Uh, I haven't seen any classes. I haven't seen no one take no classes. The classes are gambling. The classes are gambling. <laughs> I see no teachers, no, <laughs> no lunch break. Everyone's gambling just all the time. There's a student council. The head of the student council at one point Actually, let me not because that's a bit. But anyway, just this is not a normal school. So people are just like gambling. But the, the reason why this is not a show that's suitable for younger audiences is I'm trying to think of a way to say this. The the characters get a lot of pleasure from gambling, mm-hmm. and I'll leave it at that. So <laughs> very. Uh, it's not quite violent. Yeah, yeah that too. Yeah, actually, yeah. I just so I just remember some of the stuff that happens. Yeah, that too. <laughs> so like, um, yeah. But it's an interesting. Well, yeah. For me, it's an interesting character study. At least the first season about like gambling and what draws people to it. So I found that quite interesting. I have started the second season, but I kind of I'm not as into it uh, now, just because sometimes you know there's some shows where they it's based on a hook, and then once you kind of they've resolved the hook i'm like mm. what else there's have you nothing. got yeah yeah and i'm not i'm not sure if there's anything and i feel like the subject of this anime like beyond the hook there is nothing to it like it's just these yeah. school kids getting excited over it and gambling is a very gentle word to describe what happens in this school yeah <laughs> very true. it reflects yeah. a prison an unruly prison more than it does a school like yeah. it, it behaves like a prison show <laughs> <laughs> is it, um, there's like a whole subgenre of like manga like that also very not age appropriate like prison school and stuff like that where they're just oh, these yeah. like schools that. that are uh just like completely off the wall and you know i think it's, that's like the concept isn't it like i like a good single-minded like anime though because like if you think about like pokemon mm. people only care about pokemon Nobody does anything in the Pokemon world other than Pokemon. Yeah, like everyone point. is going to talk to you about Pokemon. It's the same thing with like things like this, where they're like, "Gambling is our life, and that's it." They yeah. save people in Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, I feel there's more they could be doing in in this show, like beyond. Not even yeah, just taking it further. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I see. I've only just uh, a couple season, a couple episodes of season two, but I'm just getting the feeling like I've seen enough. But we'll see. So. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure if that's a recommendation, but uh, that's why we're watching. That's one of the things. And then the other, which I <laughs> will recommend, is Queen of the South. So I mentioned this on our last, or the one before the last uh, episode. I started it. And the fact that, given that I don't binge, I finished it the first season. Wow. So yeah, I even, I think there were a couple of times I watched two episodes in the same day, which is just like crazy for me because uh, I don't binge. But it's just really good. Even from the first episode, it's like, this is a really good show. Even after the first episode, I went and looked at the uh, the script for the first episode because I was like, I need to understand how they just 
how they did this, where they got you, they established the world, they got you on the character's side, the protagonist's side. I'm just in this world. So it's a story that follows a, a basically the character, the main character, Teresa. Uh, she has to run from Mexico after boyfriend, who's a drug runner, gets killed. And she just, yeah, gets pulled even further into this uh, like drug smuggler's world. But the way they do it, it's like there's her, there's different factions or like uh, cartels playing against each other and she's just in it trying to survive yeah it's just it's really good so i've finished the first season i don't know yeah it's good basically uh, and i think i've got a thing for like i don't know drug cartel based shows because i also really liked narcos and narcos mexico so i think this is like my genre mm. yeah those were the stories that we've all been enjoying so let's get into our main discussion and today we're going to be talking about the suicide squad the is important which is a 2021 superhero or supervillain film uh, produced by dc films it's a standalone sequel kind of to suicide squad in 2016 and the 10th film in the dc extended universe written and directed by james gunn and starring everyone idris elba margot robbie Sly Stallone, John Cena, everyone's in this thing. So, uh, spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about all the details about this film, the original Suicide Squad as well. Well, not all the details there. Uh, not that there were many details. Anyway, we'll get into that. But, spoiler alert. So, I'm going to do a recap of the story. But before I do that, let's get some quick overall impressions from everyone uh, as to how they found this film. So, Robert, let's start with you. What did you what did you think about this film? And then we'll compare a bit more about the, the first film. But yeah, what did you think about this compared to the first effort? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed a DC Extended Universe film. <laughs> I'm there now. I've, I've you know, it, it, it finally happened for me. But yeah, I think I, but controversially, I went into this not thinking negatively of it because it was going to be a, a DC film. I was, I didn't like Guardians of the Galaxy 2 which might be a bit controversial. I did, I, I didn't Specifically like... two. Yeah, two. Not... I liked the first... Okay. I loved Guardians of the Galaxy 1. I think two went in a direction I didn't enjoy. I found it too cartoony in places. There was like a bit where like Rocket Raccoon's head was like a balloon and they were flying around, you know, doing weird stuff. And it was like, I'm not sure what this is. Whereas like this, there's a lot of cartoony elements in The Suicide Squad, but I feel like it's just controlled enough to sort of tell the sort of like because it's a very gory film that kind of like not down is not down to earth in any way but like this sort of like crack squad of uh killers and you know super villains being used to, yeah. to fight off some giant threat yeah no i i it was a it was a blast i really enjoyed it i liked uh some of the visuals like using um had a very graphic novel approach to it like chapter titles and stuff like that like as the visuals like there'd be like someone's hair used to show like a title which sounds strange, but you'd have to see it. <laughs> you had to be there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. It's interesting you say that they're sort of more controlled cartoonists. I, I both agree and disagree, but we'll... Oh, some elements go way weird. Yeah. But I feel like it was... It's funny with like comic book films, because obviously we got used to a sort of like cadence of the, the Marvel ones. Mm. But then every now and again, there'll be like a comic book film that feels like a comic book. And a lot of people reference uh, Scott Pilgrim 
by Edgar Wright as, as one of them that uses comic book sound effects and, and stuff like that. And yeah. even before that, you had things like Sin City. This felt like a comic book film very much more than maybe a lot of other adaptations. Yeah, did. I get that. Actually, yeah. yeah, I see what you mean. What did you think, Tazzy? I agree with the uh, the titles. I was like, I was sitting and I was like, oh! every time they done it, I was like, I'm so impressed. <laughs> <laughs> It was such a, uh, such a, the way that they're, they're done, like, cause it, it's so well, like, part of it. It's not like, it's not a title on top of, of it. It's like in it. You're like, how do the characters not notice the title to <laughs> that, that everything that is about to happen has kind of just been titled for them. <laughs> We're going into the next act. <laughs> Yeah, no, I like that. I enjoyed Suicide Squad 2016. Oh, yeah, you did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we talked like, about this. <laughs> it was an, an amazing film, but it was still fun to watch. Like, I, I had problems with it, a lot of problems with it. But, you know, I was like, oh, okay, cool. I did not enjoy it. <laughs> but the Suicide Squad was like miles better. <laughs> like this was a good film my sort of like what i can remember from it before going over the recap because i had a bit of head fog around then i really like how harlequin's character has developed and where like the changes that have been made not changes but like the growth because that's what it feels like it feels like harlequin has grown as a character from being a character that kind of has like how her like backstory um and how she's got i don't know like she kind of just developed <laughs> it wasn't like a she appeared in a batman episode and then people love her and she just has grown more and has more and more and more of her own stuff and i like the direction that they've sort of gone in with her after her breakup with the with the joker she has grown and i like the points of growth as a woman that she's developed but also still being harlequin yeah and i think that's a very hard thing to do with a character whose like initial existence was based around the joker <laughs> And now it's just like her her own individual self. And then, but I just loved like the the interactions between the characters. And I felt like with this, there was more of a, like you got to understand the relationships between the characters better, even though there's not a lot of time spent on them. It's just like the time that is spent on them is more impactful. They felt like more of a squad. Yeah. <laughs> there's more suicide and there's more squad. Yeah, and there was like history between there was like not not spelled out, non-spelled out history between characters that you just came across in body language and and their interactions. And then also you knew that like most of them have not met. Yeah. I yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I, I surprisingly, because I did not like the original Suicide Squad, although I do like Will Smith and I liked watching Will Smith, but that was yeah, that was about it. So I kind of came into this with some skepticism. I felt like I came in with my with my hands crossed, uh, like, yeah, impressed me. But from the beginning, I just remember the way that, yeah, the way it began kind of said, okay, we, we know what this is. Whereas I felt the initial Suicide Squad didn't know what it was. And the tone was set with this one. 
so I was like, okay, cool. They, <laughs> they know what they're doing. So we're um, along for the ride. And then like, uh, sort of you both covered like the, yeah, I, th- I felt the characterization was better. The relationship between the characters, it was funny. And like, that's all like funny <laughs> moments. And I definitely agree with Harley Quinn, like her character, especially when you put the original Suicide Squad and this together and just see how, like how she's gone as a character, but how she's been used as a character because she wasn't used very well in the first one. But yeah, she uh, was put to a lot better use in this one. So yeah, I was kind of like, okay, this is a, this is a film that knows what it is. The tone is set early and yeah, uh, I'm going to have to say some nice things about Suicide Squad. Uh, the Suicide so the, Squad. The, see, I told you, the, <laughs> the, the, the is important. So, <laughs> yeah, I will not be saying nice things about Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad. Yeah, cool. I'm here for that. Let's uh, recap the story and then we'll go into a deeper dive. So the story of The Suicide Squad introduces us to intelligence officer Amanda Waller as she sends two Task Force X teams led by Colonel Rick Flagg and Bloodsport to the nation of Corto Maltese after its government is overthrown by an anti-US regime. In exchange for lighter sentences, the inmates in each squad are tasked with destroying the lab in Jotunheim, which contains a secret experiment known as Project Starfish. Flag's team is ambushed by Corto Maltese military, resulting in the deaths of Savant, Captain Boomerang, Blackguard, TDK, Javelin, uh, Mongol, and Weasel, who yeah is hilarious, uh, who apparently drowns. And the capture of Harley Quinn, Flag himself, is found by rebel soldiers. That distraction allows Bloodsport and his team of Peacemaker, King Shark, Polkadot Man, and Ratcatcher 2 to enter the country undetected. The Suicide Squad eventually find Flag at a rebel camp after slaughtering all the rebels, but still manage to convince leader Sol Soria to help with their mission. In the Corto Maltese capital, the squad captures the Thinker, a metahuman scientist running Project Starfish. Harley joins after escaping capture for killing the Koto Maltese president. The squad uses the Thinker to break into Jotunheim to rig the facility with explosives. Flag and Ratcatcher discover that Project Starfish is in fact Starro the Conqueror, a giant alien starfish that can remotely control others through smaller versions of itself. The Thinker then reveals the US government has secretly funding the project in Corto Maltese for the past 30 years. Now enraged, Flag decides to leak a hard drive with this evidence, but is killed by Peacemaker, who is under secret orders from Waller to cover up the US's involvement. The explosives are set off prematurely and the facility falls. Peacemaker attempts to execute Ratcatcher 2 for knowing the truth about Starro, but Bloodsport shoots him and takes the drive. Starro escapes the lab and takes control of the island's people. Bloodsport then decides to lead his teammates into battling Starro against orders. Polkadot Man is killed in the battle, but Harley pierces a hole in Starro's eye, allowing the rats that have been summoned by Ratcatcher to chew Starro to death from the inside. Which is as gruesome... <laughs> as it sounds, uh, oh. Soria uses the chaos to take control of the government and pledges democratic elections. Bloodsport forces Waller to release him and his surviving teammates in exchange for keeping its contents secret, and they are airlifted out of Corto Maltese. The end. Well, then, after credit scenes, so then we see Weasel and Peacemaker 
both shown to be alive with Peacemaker under the supervision of Waller's subordinate and then the end. So, uh, so I did mention Suicide Squad. We now have The Suicide Squad. So this is kind of a sequel in that it continues, but it, it's also kind of a remake. So I'm wondering how we compare the, the two attempts at essentially the same film. So how do you both think this compares to the original? So because we essentially get the same film with the, not exactly the same characters, but kind of the, the same plot. Uh, so Tazzy, I know you mentioned that you enjoyed the first one. How did you find the first one, Robert? I'll be honest, didn't watch it all the way through. I remember sort of phasing in and out of it. I sort of remember the weird music video first half the of intros, it. Where yeah. it was just like <laughs> introducing everyone. And then I remember them fighting some mist and then a temple and the, the, the world was saved. Um, so I'd, I don't think particularly highly of it. I think it's interesting that with something called Suicide Squad, it provides this unique opportunity to actually just treat the last film as completely dispensable. It's sort of like, <laughs> oh, and guess what? All of those people, a lot, well, a lot of them die at the beginning of this film. And it's like, there we go. And now we've got a new squad. And that's, uh, you know, that is that would be the joke that you'd be doing with a comic like Suicide Squad. It, you know, it was, was treated as a way to get rid of some, like, no-mark villains back in the day. But yeah, I, you know, the first film was obviously back when Warner Brothers was trying to desperately course-correct everything after it had been made. Ironically enough, the first film, I feel, was forced to be inspired by Guardians of the Galaxy's focus on music and pop culture. I think that was added in later, so it's very ironic they got James Gunn to do the sequel um, to come back. And you can tell. <laughs> the original was intended to be a more a darker piece, but then they wanted to, essentially there were reshoots, so they wanted to add more comedy. So after, because mm. right as I was putting together the notes, I found that. So after the reception of Batman v Superman, the negative reception, and then the success of something like Deadpool, they were like, let's add in more comedy, which is not what was intended um by the director uh david ayer so yeah it kind of and it definitely suffered for that because it was like where's the where's the tone in this mm. and then um yeah but like i say, I, I feel the the suicide squad uh is in the tone was set obviously james gunn you know what you're getting <laughs> with him so i think this leaned a lot into sort of um sort of when when the suicide squad comic started which was like in the the late 80s uh, which at the same time had films like robocop with hyper gore in them that w had a lot of sort of like very gory violence in the cinema at that time and i think this the suicide squad definitely leans into that as as well that sort of like um that approach to sort of like a would you describe robocop as a superhero mm, that's a good question i'm not yeah. i'm not sure that i would <laughs> yeah that sort of space in between superheroes and people that just go out and kill the bad yeah. guys, <laughs> like the Punisher and stuff. But yeah, I, I found that sort of that aspect to it, sort of like because I can't really remember what was what was the violence. This is very strange. What was the violence like in the first film? I remember like Joker being particularly mean to Harley, but I don't remember because they were fighting like ghosts and stuff. So it was like yeah, it was like a zombie hacker slasher. This. <laughs> Because I think the the first one was a had a lower age rating, although I think in the UK it was the same. But in the US it was a lower rated, so it was PG thirteen versus R for this one. So I think that mm. I guess reduced the, the specific like violence because there was some violent 
violent scenes in in this one yeah i think the violence was very low against humans on the first one and it was all against those kind of like monster things and then this one there was a lot more violence against high human violence high (laughs) human violence (laughs) very very high level of human violence a lot of humans die (laughs) spoilers (laughs) so yeah so i felt there were and that's why i say it's kind of because it was technically a sequel but it was also an acknowledgement i feel of dc that the first one didn't go well we're gonna try this again and we're gonna try it properly so we're gonna replace the elements that worked uh funny enough the uh at least for me i enjoyed watching will smith that was a, one positive but he got replaced by bloodsport and Idris Elba. but then the characters were, were still quite similar because they were both sort of sharpshooting characters with issues with their daughter yeah i love that though they introduced another like sharpshooter and then made a joke about the fact that they were basically the same. Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I feel like was them, them also making a joke that Bloodsport is a lot like Deadshot. So apparently, originally Idris Elba was going to be Deadshot again, but they changed it at some point to make him into a new character just in case Will Smith wanted to come back in, oh. in the role or whatever. So they've kept that open. But like also like DC has like loads of sort of like Bloodsport, Deadshot characters like there's Deathstroke as well. It's like this whole like group that's, of yeah. That's what like, I was thinking. Now it's like yeah. it, it gets assassin snipers. <laughs> it's like all the names as well. It just like begins to merge in your head like gun death. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that isn't there a Deadshot as well? Like, <laughs> so isn't there? I oh, see. I'm confused now. What's that one you said? Deathstroke. Deathstroke. There's also a character in Marvel who's like a weird zombie robot man. But so this is where it all gets intercrossing between comics. So like there's only so many death people before you have to start doubling up on the words. Exactly. So yeah, but uh, that's an interesting point though. So uh, giving Will Smith the opportunity if he if he so so chooses to come back. But I, I liked Idris uh, in this. I liked his character. And I, I did like the the kind of acknowledgement that yeah, because they they were gonna so they brought him on. And then they were like, oh, and we've got Peacemaker. And they basically gave him the same description as yeah. as Bloodsport. He's like, wait, I do that. <laughs> and he's like, I do it a bit better. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that. And that just started off the rivalry between those two. So, uh, so Robert, you mentioned that this was the first DC Extended Universe film that you've enjoyed. Yeah, kind of. I sort of like half liked what the first Wonder Woman film. I thought okay. it was... It was like fun when it was like doing the whole World War One aspect of it, but then it sort of like melted into weird nonsense in a storm by the end. Yeah, and I have not enjoyed uh, the Snyder Flex. <laughs> I'm not didn't like Man of Steel, didn't like Batman versus Superman, and I have not watched the, any of the Justice League uh, in the version of the pre version and the four hour long version. <laughs> I'm not there for it. It's just. Um, there's a conversation to be had that, that there are people that have read comics and think they can adapt comics and there are people that understand them on and like an atomic level that can adapt them. And I mm. don't I don't think like obsessing over the Dark Knight, the the comic book version is going to lead you to the best versions of all DC characters ever because it was supposed to be like a grim dark like Elseworlds tale rather than a, this is how Batman and Superman should be all of the time. It's like no. Yeah. That was uh, Frank Miller harnessing lightning for a brief period. But yeah, the DC the DC universe is uh, you know, it's had a rocky I you know, when you said it was like the tenth one, 
it was like, has there only been 10? <laughs> it feels like there's been more. It's like, and that might like be like... it's been going on longer. <laughs> yeah, the COVID year has like inflated everything. Like, it's, yeah. like, it's like zombie ones are coming back, but bigger. Like, oh no, stay in your grave, please. Yeah. <laughs> You're done with. Yeah, no, I... Because I wasn't really keeping track, I guess, because just because Marvel has a... I guess sort of better track record, but also you're more aware of like how things tie into each other. There's more of a plan, so you know oh, this is the you get you keep track of that. But with DC, it's like oh okay, there's been ten of this. I wasn't sure how many, but I because I was thinking like, is this the most enjoyable DC film in I don't know in, in a, a while though. So I I did enjoy Wonder Woman uh, the first one. I haven't seen the second one yet until like the third act because kind of yeah where we spoke about that on the podcast as well but i feel aquaman was aquaman was quite epic i think that worked i haven't seen shazam oh i've seen no, that i one. haven't seen shazam I, I half liked shazam as well okay I, it, I sort of like i liked it's another one of those films where i feel like they showed all the best moments in the trailers so you went oh. in and there, there weren't extra jokes other than what you'd already seen so you were like oh just the the dry stuff i guess i feel like because it was james Wan that did uh aquaman wasn't it the director so that and this, it, it's a surprise, isn't it? When you let a really good director just do what they want to do, you might get a good product out of it. Exactly. And that's the thing is like, because James Gunn, like, no, he knew what this was. And it, that came out clear in the story and the characters in the tone. He knew what this was. I think he knew what this was. I think this was a chance for him to go crazy. I think a lot of this was very experimental. This was like he had some ideas in a notebook that weren't necessarily for a, a DC film. Like he wanted to film a fight scene in the reflection of a chrome helmet. And he was like, this is it. I'm doing it. This is the film. <laughs> I was just going to say, I couldn't agree more, but carry on. <laughs> um, yeah, it felt like a sort of like a, a mixtape of just like random ideas of how mm -hmm. to adapt a comic book film, like going things from like the titles to, you know, all, all aspects like that. And I think it was just being him being experimental and having fun. And I think that was probably what he said straight up when they sort of gave him the contract after mm. Marvel foolishly fired him for a hot minute. And it was like, just uh, get off my back, let me make a film, and it'll be a good one. And hopefully we'll make some money. And yeah. like, because like for that brief period of time, he was a two billion man, wasn't he? He was like, uh, you know, <laughs> who were the Guardians of the Galaxy before? And who were they after the James Gunn movie? He was, that was his superpower. Exactly. And I feel after sort of being fired for Marvel temporarily, he, he had a lot of credibility, is that the word? Or he had a, just a lot of capital where he could, I imagine, say, like, just let me do what I want to do. And you can kind of tell because there are like elements of Guardians of the Galaxy and, you know, sort of a ragtag group of villains or anti-heroes coming together. But you can you can feel the, the Disney uh, hand on Guardians of the mm -hmm. Galaxy, so they don't go too far. And I don't have a problem with that, but you could, it, you could see it. Whereas uh, Suicide Squad is like, okay, uh, James, do your thing, send us the edit, and we'll put it out. So, I um, yeah, the idea that it was like just a load of I ideas in a notebook, and he's kind of like been like, I want to add this in, I want to add in. So, one of the things I really love about this film, and I think it works with like the Suicide Squad as a concept because it is that's what it is, <laughs> it's just a load of chaos and nonsense, and you know, a load of anti heroes and villains that don't really match each other but kind of end up working together and like everyone's motives are different and and then you see that in this like the way that this film's done there's like scenes that just use completely different techniques 
like Harlequin's escape scene and oh, yeah. which is like perfectly <laughs> Harlequin for one for her, yeah. and had all flowers and things like these amazing gra- like illustrations coming out but that was the only place that that happened and there was just like loads of different scenes where it was like if you saw these separately you wouldn't know they were in the same film like if you were someone that had no idea who these characters were and someone just showed you these clips you'd be like wait this is the same film <laughs> but you know I was watching um, kind of an analysis of like the sort of two films and there was a good point that was made that for The Suicide Squad, because we we had everything grounded in a normal view of like blood sport. So everything that was sort of wackier <laughs> elements like Harlequin, it, it was it was grounded from uh, the view of blood sport, who's like our, essentially our straight character. Uh, like he's a, I was going to say regular guy, he's not a regular guy, but he was the sort of more grounded and he was looking in this situation like everyone else is crazy and i just want to uh i don't even want to do this but i'm here so you could have like harlequin just go off and be harlequin <laughs> you could have a scene of like flowers but you'd always come back to that that same perspective mm. so it's yeah. always quite interesting and then like we say this being like a sort of james gunn uh story and i was wondering kind of playing devil's advocate here but with dc and I guess it comes from the position they're in currently, just able to give more creative control. Uh, whereas Marvel, you know, by this point, has a formula that leaves a little less room for like director vision. So, is this a situation where if DC, DC can keep this going, you know, Marvel is Marvel heading towards like some kind of creative bankruptcy? Is this a formula that will over time work better in terms of letting the directors just be themselves over the creative vision? What do you both think? I think Marvel's going to be all right, but I think they are going through a bit of a rocky period at the moment where it's, you know, they've had the the big finale and now they've got the sort of like having to start up the hype for the next go around. And now it's all different universe timeline stuff. And it gives me the jitters because that's the sort of stuff that drives people off from reading comics wholesale. They're like, oh, I'm out. <laughs> this is, <laughs> I don't need a, like a huge bar graph of trying to understand what I'm watching, who is coming from what universe. Like I enjoyed this film from DC. I think it was great as a standalone. I'd recommend it to someone that didn't necessarily see any other DC film. They're just in for a fun ride. I think they're still a hot, hot mess of a universe. I don't know. I don't know how this would then spin off into the grander universe. Like there's like talking about Bloodsport. They introduce him as like ah, oh, he tried to kill Superman once, and like I get that for the brevity sake of the film, like getting through a lot of it. I didn't get the feeling from Bloodsport that he was any kind of criminal other than that one thing they said he did once that was bad. Is he supposed to not really be a... He's just a hired gun, though, right? He just He's a, an assassin. Yeah, I guess one of Superman's other... I think in the comics it was Lex Luthor, because it's always Lex Luthor hired <laughs> him to kill uh, Superman. I suppose I would have quite liked to see that, but then that would have been extra money to get him on set mm. and stuff like that. But yeah, I just... like. This is, this is the, you know, the devil's advocate aspect of it. I would have loved this as the first DC film if they came out swinging <laughs> with this, like loads of unknowns. They made you love a shark and a weasel man and a rat. <laughs> and you were like, I don't even know what this is, but I had fun with it. And then we spun off slowly into Batman and Superman and stuff like that, which is kind of also the, supposed to be the point of the first Suicide Squad. Because you, yeah. you were meeting the Joker and Harley Quinn and... I've I've got my timelines mixed up. Did that come before Batman versus Superman or after it? After. 
Yeah, it came after. And it was supposed to be a lot more of the Joker that got cut, which then made what was there to just feel tacked on and pointless. Mm. And now they've got their other Joker. And now... now they, yeah, now they've got another Joker. <laughs> and another Batman. So I, I don't think Marvel are going to have creative bankruptcy. I think they've got a formula that works and... I, d- I think it would take a lot for it to not work. <laughs> like, I think people dip off at points, but also that will be where new people come in. And I, th- I think they're going to do... F- they've got a plan. They know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's definitely a plan. Yeah, and at the end of the day, people will still love the movies individually as well. I like the... F- I'm starting to really warm to DC. And I like... I like the idea that if they're doing like a connected universe, that it's not connected because all the films match up, but more because things are mentioned, but they like, if something is changed, it will, it will make sense. It's like, they're not, they're not actually in the same universe. They're all in like different universes, but like parallel, parallel universes, if that makes sense. And you get that feel rather than that they're in the exact same universe. Yeah, and you're expecting this character to turn up in this... Yeah, yeah. That's also what I was like trying to say. It was like an authentic comic book experience because this this film felt very much like many comic books where a new writer comes in and goes like, I don't care about anything that just happened for the last five years. This yeah. is what I'm doing. <laughs> and it's like, you mention a character and you know a bit about a character and it's like, you know, oh, blood sport nearly killed uh tried to kill superman uh we know who superman is it doesn't matter what version of superman we know who superman is so if they use references like that um and like carla quinn saying like you know i was with the joker once <laughs> and i learned from that we don't need to know it doesn't matter what version of the joker because we get like the joker as a basic character like as a base the base of the joker's character we understand that and if it can like work like that and, you know, you learn about a character for a different film um, and the films aren't connected, but that character is mentioned, but you just know who that character is. Does that make sense? No, I, get, I think there's a, there's a light touch connectivity they can do with the films where it doesn't need to be what Marvel are doing. It can be like you described and it just it can just work. Then they can give more creative freedom because they're not trying to get every film sort of tonally to necessarily fit. So you can have... Suicide Squad, you can have Joker, you can have, well, maybe not Batman v Superman, because I don't think that should have uh, existed in that in that form. That's another one that I <laughs> uh, did not enjoy. But you can have like, different experiences all within the same loose universe. Yeah. It's not so tight, but it can still make enjoyable experiences. It's like the birds of, uh, the birds of prey. It's just birds of prey. It's birds only of, oh, yeah, exactly. yeah, there's no <laughs> bird in that one. <laughs> birds of prey, like, obviously that was like, Harlequin's breakup with the Joker, her dealing with her breakup with the Joker, um, and then in this, she has broken up with the Joker. But in Birds of Prey, she's a free woman, uh, and in this, obviously, she's not. <laughs> so there's still references to her breaking up with the Joker, and all her tattoos are changed to like cross out stuff, and that works well, I think, because yeah, that loose connection. Yeah, so yeah, that's the word. Uh, the word I'm looking. For, I was trying to remember is, is continuity. It's like less of a. This is a tight thing. It's just they just fit together in a uh, in a loose way. So yeah, I think that's a that can work for 
uh, DC. And yeah, I want to talk about some of the the, the characters and like some of the moments because <laughs> a lot of great moments. So the main issue I had with Suicide Squad was the way characters were introduced. So Robert touched on it earlier. And I felt that they just had really bad ex- um, introductions for the characters that, I mean, I guess visually and it was music and stuff like that. But like in terms of a story, kind of just gave you just flat characters. It told you about them without necessarily showing the characters. So there's a whole, you know, show, don't tell kind of thing. And it didn't really link uh, in a way that impacted the, the story I was watching. So, for example, in The Suicide Squad, you had the moment with like Bloodsport and, and Ratcatcher 2 and how she gave her backstory after we had seen Bloodsport and <laughs> the terrible relationship with his daughter, which is that was a, uh, that was a hilarious scene. So the, the relationship with his daughter and just him just disconnected. Uh, we then saw Ratcatcher 2 and her story with her father and, and all that. And that kind of then made her sort of in a way like a surrogate daughter almost, which kind of connected to the end. So is that the way characters were introduced actually impacted on other characters in a meaningful uh, way. I mean, you know, we're not talking like kind of super deep stuff, but it was there in terms of like just a basic mm. storytelling uh, thing that the first film didn't have. So I really enjoyed that aspect of what uh, was brought to this film. Uh, I was just going to talk about the, the the backstory part. I really yeah. wish that the title of that segment had been Backstory Bus. Because it felt like they were they were just on this bus and everyone was doing their backstories. Yeah. And I don't, it was like, wow, this is, I guess that's this segment of the film. Yeah, it was a bit <laughs> was heavy it? handed. Like it was a bit like, okay, we see what you're doing. It's just, I wanted to also talk, touch on like backstory. Because um, I think the way that they did introduce Ratcatcher 2 and Blood Sports backstories, they kind of helped each other's backstories because it put the weight on the opposite person's like connect backstory so through the lack of relationship that Bloodsport has with his daughter was then kind of mirrored in the fact that Ratcatcher 2 had a really good relationship with her father so like that contrast makes you feel both of those emotions more so I just thought it was really clever (laughs) So no, it was like a, uh, yeah, the, the character intro uh, bus ride. So it was a bit of that, but it kind of served the purpose of the, the story and the character arcs. And I like that we had to wait so long to find out about Polka Dot Man. <laughs> <laughs> like we had to wait to find out about what actually he does, even though they kind of told us, but it was like, is that actually it? And then you're like, oh, it is actually it. Is it actually it? Yeah. <laughs> as it sounds <laughs> and then like what and then you just he's just like this really depressed person <laughs> and you're like why and then it, like it takes so long to tell you why but i feel like if they just told you straight up you'd be like okay but because they dragged it out so much it was like you cared more about it because you're exactly. like waiting they set an expectation because they, and this is what I'm saying about the first film where they just gave you like up front. I can't remember what the time was, but pretty much very early in the film, it's like, here's this character, here's this character, here's this character, here's this character. Okay, let's go. So you didn't really care, but with like Polka Dot Man, for example, you saw him 
be depressed and you're like, why is this guy like this? They explained his power, but he didn't see it. So you've got this kind of, in a way, this kind of tension where it's like, is this guy like, it sounds like a stupid power, but is he like crazy uh, powerful? And then you see, you not only see the power, but then you see why. And then he even kind of changes because he has like serious uh, mother issues. And then you sort of find out why you see it. So like you see, by the way, the, the actor who played his his mom is like, I don't know how many roles she had, but she had to feel a different role. She did well there. So you saw that and you see him at the end kind of essentially like stand up to his his mother um, when they're taking on, on Starro. But you, you saw that progression and you kind of cared about the character in some way. Uh, yeah, and then he dies when you just are about when you just feel like you've got to know him. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true, Suicide Squad. <laughs> and he was like barfing up like polka dots in the middle of a swamp. When you're like, this guy's powers are not. This isn't like a. This guy's superpowers aren't like a convenient like Superman level of like oh, I'm just strong and handsome. It's just sort of like there's a there's a real you know <laughs> a price to pay for his like power level. Sort yeah. Of like, what was he said? He said like if I don't if I don't expel them, I'll explode or something. Yeah, twice a day. I'll yeah. It's kind of like the power is isn't really a power. It's just a side of well, it is. It's just a side effect of his illness. True, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we had him. I like Peacemaker. Well, I like his character, and I feel I'm trying to think like is there some pretty good wrestler actors i feel like john cena did a good job with that character i was very surprised i was like i didn't you know obviously the joke is who what is, is there a john cena in this film i didn't see anyone yeah but uh no he, he was a real presence in it he was yeah. um i think you know he's suddenly he suddenly shot up that list as you're saying like wrestlers turn to acting um obviously the rock is the you know he's in so many films even though vin diesel would argue can he act but you well, that's that's a good question i'd argue like at the top of the list is uh, Dave uh, Batista. Yeah. Because yeah, I feel the, the Rock is like just playing himself in the majority of roles. Uh, and he was it, good it in um, Jumanji because he had to play other people because yeah, other people true, inhabited actually, yeah. his body. Yeah. So that was quite good. Yeah. But, but like Dave Batista actually is acting from what I've seen of him in different, in a variety of roles. And when I, you know, speaking of Guardians of the Galaxy, like when I saw him in that, I was like, oh, he, he's funny as well. Like mm. he works so but yeah john cena it was good and, and peacemaker so like you know representing that uh american sense of uh excellence that imperialistic foreign policy kind of thing and he shows that by the end but he's also funny <laughs> it's like it's like and the, the back and forth between him uh and blood blood sport especially when they were at the the rebel camp and that kind of um the competition. Yeah, the competition. <laughs> Just them slaughtering this whole <laughs> group of rebels. Uh, that was uh, that was probably my favorite scene. Is where because they had the the competition between them. So you just see them just like casually slaughter people for sport, and he's like just stabbing this guy while he's sleeping, uh, shooting this guy with like an exploding bullet or whatever. And then you see that actually we needed these people. These were these were the, the rebels that we needed and we just like killed your whole troop. I thought it was funny because in that scene, um, I think it's the exploding bullet. And it's like blood sports like doesn't count. It wasn't like gory enough or something. I can't remember the term he used. It wasn't like violent enough or something. And then it is like exploding bullets or whatever. And it just goes... <laughs> like they're trying to get the most gruesome deaths like they're not just trying to kill 
It's not like who got the most clever kill or who got the quickest kill, who got the most kills. It's who's getting the most gruesome kills. <laughs> but like in a playground way as well. Like there's yeah. like a there's like a joke in Thirty Rock where uh, one of the characters, like a CEO, is like fighting fighting against like his like arch rival, and he goes like, "I want a laser gun," and uh, I think it's voiced by Will Arnett. And like then eventually he goes, well, I've got a laser shield. <laughs> and it's like it's the only thing that reflects laser guns. And that's like the whole like dynamic that was like Peacemaker and Bloodsport and this. It was like, yeah, well, I can kill someone around the corner without looking. Yeah, definitely. No, uh, I love that. And um and King Shark as well. I love King Shark. I think my thing in this film was like, and this is, you know, I loved Idris Elba as an actor and stuff like that. My problem is when I love the CGI characters or more, and I was like three of them in this, they're all vying for my top spot. I loved Weasel. <laughs> I actually really I liked Weasel. Weasel as just this complete <laughs> chaos thing. Still nobody knows why he was there or what he could actually do. Really liked King Shark. Very funny. Uh, and then I also liked Sebastian the Rat. He was like, yeah, oh, Sebastian. So they all sort of vying for that same CGI character that you loved in this film, top spot. We'll talk about King Shark, but just Weasel just had just just nervous energy. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we've all sat on a train next to a weasel, or like some kind of public transport. You're like, oh, this guy. (laughs) You just feel it. I just feel that, like, what? It's just, yeah, he was hilarious. But no, King Shark. I it was. uh, I put in my notes like weirdly adorable considering half shark half i don't know shark on two legs whatever it was he's he's a shark what was he's it be a god or something wasn't yeah he? like, like he's a shark human. god yeah he's like he's not he's not half human half shark he is a shark that is in a what's the word if when someone has when something has a human form the same shape as a human oh, i can't remember basically anthropomorphic Anthropomorphic No, no, no. Uh, not anthropomorphic. Ah, there's a word, but okay. that <laughs> like stands stands on two legs and has two arms. There's a word for it. Okay. I can't remember what it is. I'm trying to think. Yeah, it's how you de- describe the difference between like an alien with tentacles and an alien that looks human. Oh, humanoid, just humanoid. Yeah, hu- that's the one. Humanoid. Oh, oh, right. <laughs> I know that word. <laughs> we can all sleep soundly rather than springing awake at 3am going like, humanoid! Because <laughs> yeah. I wanted to Google it, but I don't know. I didn't know what to Google. <laughs> How can I forget that word? It's literally insane half of it. Yeah, like he's a he's humanoid, but he's not He's not a... He's, there's no human right, in yeah, him, got right? He's, yeah, yeah. That's just how he exists. You're right. And he, he had this... Um, so you know, speaking of like character arcs, which I felt was, uh, I was going to say a lot more. There just was in this film compared to the first. That it, was character arcs. Yeah, he because he was like lonely. Basically, he was alone and he's like trying to. He couldn't make friends because he eating everyone. So he had that moment with Ratcatcher too. He was kind of the brought the the humanity to the group. So she was like, you know, we're friends. You don't eat friends, and now uh, now we're friends, and we're going on this journey together. After he tried to eat her. And... Yeah. Ratcatcher 2 felt genuinely too nice for the film. Yeah, it, it was, I, know, I suppose she was there to establish the fact that everyone in this prison should be there. It's all sort of like a rigged game from the, the off. But like, it was really everything to do with her was just sort of like, it was like a sort of like, she was like nicked for stealing a loaf of bread or something ridiculous. I think it was yeah, like she said yeah. she was like in a bank and the rats were there and they said they were... That was an armed robbery because they were classed as a weapon or something. It was yeah. like an absolute technicality. But she was she was a great character in like Ratcatch too. She was definitely like the heart of the film, I think, pushing it forward. Mm, definitely. And she was just like this 
this like lazy. Yeah. I don't know what generation she'd count as. Like young millennial, old Gen Z. Wait, what? Gen- yeah, I don't I know. Right. I can't remember the terms for the gens, but yeah. <laughs> and she's just like, I just want to sleep. Like, yeah. <laughs> she's like, oh my god, and she's like, damn it, like. I- I'm not like a criminal, criminal, <laughs> like a minor criminal being treated like major criminal. You had like five of these like top quality assassin levels. You had Rick Flag, Bloodsport, Peacemaker and Harley Quinn, who all have like just like absolute nth level assassin skills that can see where all the bullets are coming from. And she's just like, I'm out of bed and I control rats. Is that- <laughs> yeah. And I'm not even the first one to do it, so yeah, I'm the second one. I am. Um, I'm just like, and and the rats aren't even like a, a weapon. They're not even a weapon. They're just like their friends. Even for for like <laughs> even for like her father, it was like their like like their existence isn't for criminal activity. It's just because they were at the bottom of the food chain. <laughs> they were just poor. <laughs> They're like there's no they don't have any malicious like intent whereas like the other characters are quite malicious yeah <laughs> <laughs> quite as being gentle they're all very malicious even a uh, polka dot man like uh literally just his fingers he's obsessed with killing his mother like the rest of them pretty much just kill for sport <laughs> <laughs> Like, and she's just there like, I don't kill people, I just steal things for survival. And I I got an army of rats. I did, yeah. No, and yeah, like Robert said, she was was the heart of the group. She was, because you have this, uh, the theme of, you know, the the good in people, we'll talk about themes. And then even James Gunn with Guardians of the Galaxy was this, this group of misfits, but there was good in them. uh, And that's what she kind of represented here. I do. I was wondering about Harley Quinn though, because not that I didn't like this, but I just wondered because her thing was she was in, she was in the first group, she survived, she got a spear, and then she got. Wait, did she get captured? No, she. Yeah, she got. Well, she got uh, she, after she kind of got sort engaged of to captured. the. Yeah, sort of. Introduced. No, she got captured before, oh, no, and then she, she got did. captured and, and then, then brought to, to him. The, yeah, yeah, that yeah, was, yeah, yeah. That was part yeah. of her capturing. <laughs> yes, and then she got proper captured, like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then, then she not, got like the, tortured. Not the nice kind. Yeah, yeah. So she got that. So she kind of, and when she escaped, like I, I like that sequence. But then I was wondering, like, what is her power in a DC? Because he's, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't actually have her power. <laughs> She's just yeah. crazy. But she just turned into blood sport all of a sudden. She was like, <laughs> she's been doing it long enough, I guess. That she just yeah, learned. yeah. She's like learned how to be. She's had to. So like her relation, she was the Joker's whatever, yeah. <laughs> whatever that relationship <laughs> yeah, was. No. <laughs> but she was there by his side throughout his kit, and he sort of taught her how to kill. I think like one of my favorite ways to think of Harley Quinn in any kind of like narrative is she's just like this wad of bubble gum that's mm. there. So she could either be like this sort of like glue that holds everything together. Like I think in the first film, they were trying to go for that, that she was supposed to be the heart in the first film, that she brought them all together or whatever. Whereas in this film, she just seems to be there ricocheting from point to point, just sort of like she's she wasn't needed to be there. I mean, obviously she's a very popular character, so she did need to be there. But yeah, it's, that, I guess that is the problem with Harley Quinn. She doesn't have superpowers, but she occupies that same space as Batman and everyone else. It's like, I'm just a human being, but for some reason, impervious to 
8 million bullets. And I think, like, because I know when Birds of Prey was being made, Margot Robbie wanted to, she didn't, when she first done the role in Suicide Squad, she didn't understand Harlequin because she was like, why is this person, like, in this toxic relationship and keeps going back to it? And she wanted the character to change, to be, like, a better... Uh, not so much a role model, but like a like. But just not not the opposite of a role model, at least. Yeah, <laughs> she's just, like just not this this idea that a, a woman should be tied to a man and like that that's healthy in any type of way. And really wanting to like get her individuality because she, as a concept, can be a really cool character without existing just for the Joker. Yeah, um, and so that's like the direction that Harlequin's going, even in like the Harlequin animated series as well so it's like this idea that she's gained a load of knowledge also that she was really smart that that was like a big thing that margot robbie's like hold on a yes. minute because she was joker's psychiatrist yeah <laughs> she's gonna be really smart but like this point of like she kind of forgets that she's just smart in this one area i'd quite like for that to come back the her psychiatry stuff i've always thought that about the character like i don't know if they go into that in like the modern comics and stuff she was a psychiatrist and they have an uncanny uncanny ability to sort of like get to the the root of some people like she'd have like a bit of like a speech in this about like why she shot the el presidente yeah. guy it was like hey i've met people like you before and i've decided you you're, you're better off dead <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. obviously not psychiatry but um but it's like this idea that she's kind of like a split like she's kind of her personality is kind of split now and she's got this like really but like that's what kind of like Robbie Margot wants the character to go from her like learning about Harlequin and and some of the comic in the comic books there are like more of her doing that and like remembering her psychiatry but it's like it's like a snap thing because she also wants to be free and like not live in the restraints of society yes yeah I got that yeah definitely got that and like, yeah, she's just a bit all over the place. <laughs> so she has these moments of insight. She is actually really intelligent, but has like been gaslit and manipulated by the Joker. So she's not stable. She's just, she's intelligent. She's just not stable. She's been manipulated like crazy. It's definitely, <laughs> yeah, the, the not stable thing definitely comes across. And I, I, yeah, I do like that because that, that was another thing that kind of frustrated me in the first one because she, because her character, yeah, it's kind of like, I guess unnecessarily sexualized in the first one. But then there was a moment where she kind of did that, you know, that toxic relationship where you, when the Joker turned up, she just, because she was with this group, you know, whatever kind of family or wherever they were by that point. And then the Joker came, that, came back and she just snapped to the previous roles. And that that just didn't sit well. So that, that's like, a, yeah, that, I'm, I'm glad that, she has progressed past that point where she can exist on on her own and it's not to say you couldn't do something with in terms of like a well i guess she's done with a joker now but yeah some kind of relationship but it's just that in that first film it was, it was so yeah it was just that that's all she was for and and yeah time for poison she, ivy yeah why haven't they done poison ivy in her yet i don't understand because i've been seeing that maybe this was her last holocron film she really whatever i did see some scuttlebutt about that but i you know They've got to do Poison Ivy and Harley. That's the... Yeah. Because she actually has other... Like, in the comic books for Suicide Squad, Harlequin has relationships with other people. Mm. Relationships. Yeah, whatever that means for her. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, but she has like connections with other people and like has a weird bond that's like not how her bond is with the Joker, but she cares for people. Um, and friend, I feel like they tried to get that across with Flag. I didn't see it, but a friend was saying that Joker aside, Rick Flag aside, and all stuff like that, the, the most powerful relationship Harley Quinn has had is with that sandwich in Bird of Prey. Yes. <laughs> and I've, yes. Not, seen, I've was, not seen it, but tight. apparently that was. Yeah, that was a, that was a tight relationship. The so sandwich when, looked good, though. When, that, when, we wa- when I watched that, um, the person I watched it with was like, they made Birds of Prey and like, you already enjoy like Harlequin and now like Harlequin is you in this <laughs> like that is you with your food <laughs> <laughs> I was like I relate so much to this character yeah. yeah it was it was all about that sandwich <laughs> definitely I uh, I don't want to miss out in terms of characters I don't want to miss out Milton because everyone in the film except Harley no even Harley who who remembered Milton someone remembered Milton but uh, Polka Dot remembered Milton. Oh yeah, that was it. Pol- Polka Dot. Po- Polka Dot was very fond of Milton. Of Milton, yeah, like from the beginning, as he said. Yeah. So he was very fond, but everyone forgot Milton. But what was funny about that? Not that just that he he was there and he got killed, and people were like, "Who's Milton?" But there's a point where they did the, you know, they did the character. You had that the cool characters walking in a line through mm. the fog moment. Uh, he was there. Yeah. And I remember watching it. I'm like, wait, who's that character? <laughs> <laughs> Like, I that? remembered Milton and I was like, why is he there? He's going to get himself yeah. killed. And then yeah. sure enough, he got himself killed. <laughs> and, but I just wasn't expecting like only one person to know who he was. Like, yeah. I was, I was shocked in that moment as well. Like, I was right there with Polka Dot Man. Like, how have you not noticed Milton? <laughs> like, <he's been laughs> you literally asked him to do something. Like you gave him, I'm sure there was a point where they gave him something, like Bloodsport gave him something to do. Yeah. I suppose Milton was the weasel sequel. Yeah. So like, this guy's here for some reason, I'm sure. And yeah. he was so invested in their mission. I know, like, right? Like, he was there for it. He was, he was, a, he was like, of Corto Maltese. He was there, so he was invested. And, you know, he, uh, he sacrificed for the cause. I just love um, when Harley calls Bloodsport Milton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you're not Milton <laughs> no <laughs> crazy woman <laughs> man I want to there was there's one more character I can't well no, mm, one character you know the um the gr- a group of characters let's uh all the um people that work for Amanda Waller and then the point like as things go on because they start by betting on everyone's lives yeah yeah and then end up questioning it questioning it questioning the disposition of amanda waller and like wait a minute are these people even bad like or as bad as you've said like you seem like the bad one yeah she does seem like (laughs) the worst she is (laughs) (laughs) um and they're sort of like revolt and I'm surprised that they all have their jobs at the end. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I was I was thinking that might go a different way. But yeah, even, so even like they changed because they were, like you say, they were like taking bets on who in the first squad, the Task Force X, who's going to go first, taking bets. And then by the end, they were like, oh, actually, maybe, <laughs> maybe we'd, we'd, we've gone too far. And they mm. kind of changed. And yeah, no, that's a good point. I'd, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that I love a swearing Peter Capaldi at any time. 
in any film. <laughs> so him as the thinker, like just being unleashed for a few moments. And I think he was he wasn't used too much in this, but I loved UK comedy, the thick of it, and then the movie version in the loop. Also probably not kid friendly. But uh yeah, he's a you know, I didn't feel like Doctor Who was the I'm sure he had fun playing it, but like I love an absolutely unleashed Peter Capaldi. Yeah, that when they were smashing his head into the, the eye scanner thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um but actually this of speaking of the thinker i know robert in terms of like uh starro and yes. that character like what did you feel about yeah about that whole sort of direction well i found it interesting uh from like the sort of dc marvel rivalry point of view that dc has got to do its aquatic hell beast uh before marvel does its own so obviously starro is a, a starfish like a, a galactic sort of like almost like an eldritch horror with the way it like takes over people's bodies and grows Marvel hasn't got around to doing Shuma Gorath, which is the octopus enemy of uh, Doctor Strange, yet. So this feels like it's a bit of sort of like revenge on DC's part for Marvel doing Thanos before Darkseid. Uh, Dark oh, yeah. And obviously Darkseid was done by Jack Kirby, and then Thanos was very uh, inspired by that. Whereas like, this is actually DC getting out, because like, loads of people would have, if they, well, I suppose Darkseid was in the the new version of version justice two. league yeah, yeah. <laughs> where it, like you just look at him as like oh so he's he's a thanos and it's like no no actually he came first but that's <laughs> that's comics for you but yeah i loved starro it was it was like um shouldn't work but did just a giant starfish very cartoonish but uh also genuinely unnerving at times yeah for me that's what highlights uh what you said earlier about this being like that comic book but realistic like, because that was like really like, okay, we're gonna give you a giant starfish, <laughs> starfish. and this is the most comic <laughs> thing you can get. We've basically put like like an animation in this smack bang in the middle. There was a specific line, and writing comics, and I've, I've written some for other artists. You sometimes put in like little asides to the artist, and there was a moment where one of the characters in this film just screams out, "Oh my god, it's a kaiju!" And I was like, yeah. that was obviously just James Gunn sort of like feeling himself being like, hey, look what I got in there. And we did a, <laughs> we did a kaiju as well. Yeah. I remember it, it was that moment. I mean, there were so many moments in terms of like on the, this is a comic book film, but it's kind of why I said earlier to Robert where I agree and disagree because it was, it was control, but it was also a kaiju in, <laughs> and a, a starfish kaiju nonetheless <laughs> in it, which is just ridiculous but it fit because like i said i think the the tone was set early and, and everything was consistent with that so it was okay i was like okay cool this is this is the film i'm watching so i'm, I'm cool with it although it, it was also unnerving like you say because i don't know anything that's like i'm just gonna open my armpit I, well what counts when i'll pay for a starfish and just let out little versions of myself that's just going to attach them that yeah that was kind of unnerving i just love the fact that staryu was just minding its own business floating through space isn't staryu an alien in pokemon as well i think that like i seem to remember like some of the pokemon descriptions like it, it's an alien and you're like wait what <laughs> aren't they all sort of aliens and then there's like oh, no, <laughs> you don't know <laughs> like interesting is there something to do with like star aliens star-shaped aliens or is it just because they come from the stars i think it's sort of like it's another sort of like hp lovecraft thing where cosmic horror is sort of twinned with the deep sea in concepts where it's just sort of like the idea of like this vast ocean in space might have similar horrible tentacle things coming in around the edges uh yeah 
Um, sorry, I don't know if you have it in the notes, but like that was, I don't know if anyone looked into it. I forgot to, but there was a, a thing with birds. Oh yeah, so many birds got like, yeah. <laughs> that, there, was were, there was constant birds, imagery of birds in this. But violence birds against being, birds as well. Yeah, my my birds, wife did not enjoy that. <laughs> from, yeah, like yeah. constant. I was like, what's with birds? Wait, I didn't even pick up on that. I mean, I, what was the other ones? Uh, they torched the El Presidente's collection of birds. Oh, he had wow, exotic yeah. Birds. In, there, was, there was more. Yeah. There, there was literally birds throughout the whole film. I can't remember, but there was, yeah. Oh, man, I didn't even connect that. Maybe James Gunn just hates birds. Birds, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just as you said it, I just remember from the very first thing, it's like just... Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a bird, bird being killed, yeah. Is it like the whole, um, isn't it like slang of people in jails being like jailbirds, maybe? It's sort of like maybe that. Yeah, I don't know if, or a connection to like birds of prey or... Wow, I'm, I'm going to have to do some digging into that. Wow, I noticed something and Nigel didn't. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, know. <laughs> I feel very impressed with myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's totally, I totally missed that. I want to find out the other moments now. I'd love it if your note was just literally birds, question mark, yeah. exclamation mark. <laughs> like, birds? <laughs> cool. All right, that kind of like takes us on to uh, some of the other themes. So we've got that, even though we don't know what that kind of says, but I'd love to know what that says now. I'm going to investigate that uh, more. But then we had a couple other themes that I uh, sort of picked up in terms of like rat catcher and this idea of, yeah, everyone having good within them. And it's kind of spelled out because you have in her backstory with her father talking about, you know, answering the question of why rats and uh, him saying rats are the lowliest and most despised of all creatures, my love. But if they have purpose, so do we all. And that was her thing at the end. So I really like that in them taking down the in Starro, kind of everyone completed their arc in a sense. So she found her purpose, like her thing is, you know, rats, they're just rats, but she found her purpose blood sport you know he started off not wanting to lead this team uh, and even like amanda waller was saying like i'll make a leader out of you whether you know intentionally or not she made a leader so you see him at the end like we've completed the mission but we're gonna take down this thing and then he starts directing people like you know to take down the the kaiju so you see him do that harley quinn has the spear she doesn't know why but she carries it with her she uses that so it all kind of comes together as well so i like that theme of like everyone having some good even the lowliest of, of characters i did really I'm... like the rat catcher stuff because it was like it was smart from a storytelling perspective and so like how are they gonna defeat this giant like 60 foot starfish that's just rampaging through like like they didn't have like a captain marvel or superman-esque power on their side what are they going to do? And they sort of looked like a natural resource in a weird way that like this city has got this many rats and they've all got lovely little mouths that are hungry. What if, I mean, that was a very artistic, what was it like they were tearing through like retinal yeah. friends yeah. <laughs> to kill, kill him inside With of his Harlequin eye. Harlequin just like floating through watching them. Like So messed up, so messed up. <laughs> but no, yeah, I did like how that all kind of, came together uh, to complete people's journey and then the other one uh, which was like uh, baked into the plot which is the sort of american foreign policy of them going into foreign lands <laughs> messing with their sort of politics but then with peacekeeper peacekeeper peacemaker 
even peacemaker embodied that and he's the one that kind of turned on the others at the end because he wanted to you know it turned out that they weren't there just to destroy this facility and the and the weapon they were there to cover up uh, america's role and it kind of goes to you know, a number of stories that have i guess taken a different turn on american uh, foreign policy with like uh, the boys falcon and the winter soldier just looking at i don't know picking apart the idea of american exceptionalism and uh, and their role mm. in other parts of the world but uh yeah that was an interest i don't know how well it was executed necessarily but it it kind of added something to the story and um and made it in, uh, interesting i think it was interesting that sort of like i think a lot of the the point of the suicide squad is that they're all flexible in different ways whereas like ultimately what did peacemaker in was that he was inflexible on this one issue he was sort of like, no, I'm here to do this. And it was sort of like, well, that's the wrong position that the rest of the group has decided against. It's like that, like multiple characters sort of like reinforced, we're not killing kids. Kids, killing kids is like the level of like, no, you are now, we are against you. Even though we're all sort of like supervillains and stuff here, obviously Bloodsport has his daughter, Ratcatcher 2 is kind of a kid herself, and Harley Quinn also has, I'm not sure why she has it, but she she really has the don't be killing kids, I'm not up for that. She's not actually that evil. <laughs> I know, but I, just, I was I was just wondering if they, I, like, I missed a film or something where the Joker was like, hey, kill, let's go kill some kids. And she's like, you know what? <laughs> this is a... Uh, I'm out. <laughs> In Birds of Prey, Birds she of Prey? looks yeah. after a kid. Yeah, she looks but after a kid. But yeah. I just saw a quote that James Garner apparently had no awareness of Birds of Prey. All right. So... Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> no awareness? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I don't... I just saw it when I was trying to find out about the birds thing so i don't oh. know i've not checked the source or anything but um apparently uh but then it could also be i don't know how much james gunn like takes on actor suggestions because mm. margot robbie could have had a influencer yeah true okay yeah it's an interesting point about the inflexibility of uh peacemaker as well and thought that and yeah just he yeah he had his mission slightly different from the others but he had his mission and he also had one, one of the best lines is like you know uh was that i cherish peace with all my heart i don't care how many men women and children i kill to get it which you know yeah american foreign policy but yeah so that's a different podcast i like topic, that it got but... called called out like yeah for someone that calls himself peacemaker yeah that, what was that the quote? for someone that calls himself peacemaker you don't you're not very peaceful or something yeah. like that. Pretty bloodthirsty or something. Yeah, was... I can't remember the exact quote. Ama Amanda Waller was the same. It's just sort of like, you, you think she's sort of like, oh, she just uses bad people to, to save the day. And then ultimately it's sort of real like saving the day was never the goal. It was just to cover something up. It was just mm -hmm. like, I don't, didn't actually care about saving the day. It's like, eh. It's like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> That's why she got like a crowbar to the head or whatever, temporarily. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so is there any... Any other final thoughts or favorite moments that we haven't talked about? I just thought it was very creative. I just thought like I did enjoy that aspect of it. Like it's nice to just drop into a film and it surprise you with lots of sort of like little moments that you'll remember. You know, I think I mentioned it earlier, but like a, a fight scene revolving around a chrome shiny helmet is like, oh, that is pretty pretty smart way to frame it. It's that's that's the kind of thing that you would find in a graphic novel. Like people always talk about the strength of comic books as opposed to their sort of like movie counterparts when you're using like 
comic panels and stuff to frame things. It's interesting to start seeing that now bleed into films, even though they could have been doing it the whole time round. Mm. You know, I do like that sort of artistic approach to to film. You know, we've had the same screen wipes and stuff since like Star Wars in the seventies, and like just playing around with that a bit more. You know, you can you can get creative with it, and obviously James Gunn had a lot of fun doing that sort of stuff in this film, and it showed. I agree. I love I love when you watch something and it feels like a comic book or um yeah there's a few films that do that for me and I'm like that I didn't previously know were based off comic books and I'm like wait what that feels like one and that's great. <laughs> any moment with King Shark like just any and every <laughs> moment with King Shark like just oh it just they really went for like the cute like cutesy character with him which is surprising because he's a giant walking talking yeah, shark he, he rips people that apart like he had that moment we ripped the guy in half and he's just like yeah <laughs> but like he's just adorable in the way that he does it because he's like a pet <laughs> <laughs> and he's so like he's not intelligent yes. <laughs> he's just not surprisingly for you know a, a walking talking shark you'd think yeah. he'd have a bit more intelligence but he just he just wants friends and but also he wants to eat people. He likes the taste of human flesh, very unshark like yeah, of can't him. Help it. And I think there's just the mo- like the moment where he falls all the way from like the like from quite high up in the tower thing and then lands and you're like, oh my god. And he's just perfectly fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then they're shooting bullets at him. And you think, oh, it's good, he's going to get hurt. But he's still just he's fine. perfectly fine. <laughs> but he's like, why are you shooting at me? <laughs> I was so invested in all of the CGI characters. I was like, don't you dare kill Weasel. And then they yeah, no. <laughs> supposedly kill Weasel. I was like, oh no, I loved Weasel. And then like, it sort of like seemed to be intimating that we're going to kill off King Shark. I was like, don't you kill King Shark yeah. as well. Don't do this to me as well. And then there was also a moment with Sebastian. I was like, this is just cruelty. Yeah, it's too much. <laughs> it's too much. I kind of love the fact that they didn't kill any of the animal characters. Like in the <laughs> end, it was like, yeah. And, but they really had you on the edge of the seat, seat with King Shark. But I feel like that was also a really way, a good way to display how strong King Shark is. Oh, he's a Hulk-level guy, isn't he, really? He's their Hulk, but just a little bit more adorable. He's like Hulk meets Groot. Wait, Hulk meets Baby Groot. Yeah, Baby Groot, <laughs> more specifically, yeah. Just specifically Baby Groot. Everything is nom-nom. Everything, <laughs> and I just love that scene where Bloodsport is given all the instructions and is like, that's your mum to polka dot and then... Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then just says that's, to King Shark that's nom nom that's nom nom <laughs> and King Shark's like nom nom <laughs> yeah so, right I know what to do here <laughs> one of the things that pointed out to like that there were no like WB executives involved was that nobody tried to crowbar any sort of baby shark coming into this film like they just let it like King Shark ride as his own character they didn't try to attach it to like an outdated meme or anything like that whereas like there's so mm. many things they do do try and do stuff like that and you're like this film's coming out in three years. People will cringe. They will be in the cinema and go, "That was that's so 2018." Yeah, they did not need to do that. And yeah, 2000 and gone. <laughs> oh, I love King Shark, and obviously Harlo- Harlequin's escape was just perfect. And then the cherry on top was like her being like, "Oh, thanks, guys. You didn't need to save me, though. <laughs> yeah, like, we'll come to save you. It's like oh, me." <laughs> 
But I just love that she appreciated the thought so much and was like, but I can do this on my own. Like, I am a strong, independent woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, there's a lot. I think I'll, I'll just go back to the to the bit with the, uh, the entering the rebel base and just <laughs> that uh, contest between Bloodsport and Peacemaker. Uh, and the one that just got me is just, because uh, he had his like axe and there was a guy, <laughs> there was a guy asleep or a person asleep. And he just like, just stabbing him while, I while like he's casually like walking. Stabbed him like fifteen times. Like, <laughs> and I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> but the like the casualness of it, just like, wow, that is uh, that's mad. Only to find out that yeah, these are uh, these are the good guys. Well, yeah, uh, good in the context of what they were doing. Was it King Shark that was like, who told them that they killed them all? Like everyone was like. Oh no! Didn't see anyone. Did it, and then someone just went. <laughs> yeah, I think we it was King Shark. Something. It was King Shark. He burped up like some kind of. I don't know what it was like. Some kind of like like badge, or was it like some kind of obviously identifiable thing of one of her friends? And it was like, oh no. <laughs> I'm sure someone just straight up went. We killed them. <laughs> I like didn't read the room at all, and everyone was just like looked at them. Maybe it was Polka Dot Man. I think. It and then been... King Shark burped up. Like someone outright said it, and everyone was like. <laughs> really <laughs> uh, i love that whole sequence and yeah that, i think for me that was my <laughs> that was my favorite moment but there were a lot of moments that uh, i did like and like we said it was like a gruesome moment this wasn't necessarily my favorite but this was the it was the moment i was like yeah this is definitely to just let james gunn do whatever was when peacemaker finally killed rick flag and he stabbed him through the chest and then we had this the sequence of like looking at the punch the puncture of the heart who went in i was like i kind of got where that was going i didn't need the extra scene but it's very mortal combat it was like yeah, yeah i would say a lot of this film felt inspired by video games like some of blood sports weapons were very video gamey mm, yeah and they just like didn't stop until the very very end and yeah. it was like where are you carrying all of this <laughs> he's apparently in the comics he's supposed to have some kind of teleporter or something that he teleports weapons in from or something oh. they didn't explain that in this film so i don't know i think it was all supposed to be that sort of like nanotech yeah because he ran out of it and if you yeah. could teleport him then he wouldn't have ran out so yeah we we enjoyed a dc eu film yeah. and uh <laughs> yeah there we, there we go when when i tell you when i yeah when i saw that first suicide squad i did not think i'd be here the or no the but here we are so we enjoyed that let us know what you think you can always send us your feedback on this episode story discussion before we exit for this week i want to get into our storytelling tip And each time we do a deep dive on the podcast, I like to pull out a storytelling tip for others to consider when making their stories. So this is a consideration from someone who also creates stories and likes to learn from the techniques or mistakes of others. So for today's episode, I wanted to discuss making your story's protagonist an anti-hero. So this is something that was kind of relevant at the time of seeing uh, seeing this film because uh, I think I mentioned in the uh, My Matter segment that uh, I'm doing a lot of workshops speaking to different people about different types of protagonists or the antagonist protagonist uh, dynamic uh, and that whole kind of thing so it's come up before and when I talk about the idea of the protagonist it's always 
I was always with the mind of saying that it's not necessarily needed to be good. So your protagonist doesn't need to be a good person. And this is when the idea of an anti-hero is often raised by the group. Uh, but just for clarification, we just sum up the other types of characters first. So just the protagonist being your main character, so the character that you follow throughout the story, and it's their goal that we're in pursuit of. So while often the protagonist is your quote-unquote good guy, they don't need to be good but they do need to have a goal that they're proactively in pursuit of. So by the end of the story, this character will have most likely changed in a definitive way. Uh, and if you're doing a character that doesn't change, maybe the world around them changes, something changes. You know, we're talking about your Superman, Batman, uh, your you know Spider-Man, your protagonist. But we've also got the antagonist or the forces of antagonism. So being the primary challenge for your protagonist on the way to their goal. So I spoke about different types of antagonists in episode 50 storytelling tip, but for here, it's enough to say the antagonist has their own goal that conflicts with the protagonist. So the idea is they can't both get what they want. So as mentioned, your protagonist doesn't need to be good, which is what we saw in the Suicide Squad. So we see a group of supervillains in the protagonist role, although they aren't quite villains. And this is where we get to a particular type of protagonist, the anti-hero. And the anti-hero is that gray area protagonist who gets the job done without the moral trappings of being a quote-unquote good guy. So less Captain America and more Deadpool. They do the right thing and sometimes even for the right reasons. So what makes the Suicide Squad anti-heroes rather than out-and-out -out villains, even though in the context of the film they are supervillains? So they ultimately go for the greater good. So they make an intentional decision to do the right thing. And this is hinted at early by Ratcatcher 2, who claims Bloodsport has good inside him. Uh, we then later see Bloodsport defy Waller's orders and take on Starro the Conqueror when he doesn't have to. There are other examples of going for the greater good, and we mentioned Birds of Prey. So we see that for all the chaos caused and the questionable actions by Harley Quinn, there is someone worse than she is, and she ultimately makes a decision to take down that person, uh, Black Mars. So I also spoke about Birds of Prey in episode 15's storytelling tip. So while there's something comforting about seeing the morally sound hero take on and defeat the villain, it can be more engaging or interesting to see a flawed but relatable anti-hero take one step forward, two step back approach to eventually winning the day. So here are some things to consider when creating an anti-hero character. So number one is to make them flawed and relatable. So whereas typical heroes are who we aspire to be like, anti-heroes can be closer to who we actually see in the mirror. So imperfect characters that an audience can connect with and relate to on a basic human level. They are how we can envision ourselves. Uh, and so they draw us in through that. Any interesting protagonist, anti-hero or not, should have some kind of flaw that they deal with, but even more so here. So it's what dramatically complicates matters for them and makes an interesting story for us. Number two, even with the flaws, don't forget to give your anti-hero redeemable features or even a code. So your anti-hero can be motivated by self-interest or self-preservation, but there's usually a line that they won't cross, which sets them apart from the villain of your story. And his up was the quick-witted, uh, well, at least until season seven, uh, Tyrion Lannister in Game of Thrones, or Omar Little from The Wire. So he's the kind of Robin Hood 
character, uh, except for he's dealing drugs and uh, waving shotguns around, but a really good anti-hero. Number three, they take the right option eventually. So when forced to choose between right and wrong, they will sometimes choose wrong because it's easier. An anti-hero can be classed as like chaotic good. So a person who will achieve their goals without regard for authority, morals, law, that kind of thing. But they would eventually push come to shove, make the right decision. And number four, show that there is someone clearly worse and clearly is the key word. So we can accept some pretty bad behavior from an anti-hero so long as we see there is someone or something that's clearly worse. So you will need to see an antagonist to contrast against the anti-hero protagonist. So someone who will cross that line, our anti-hero will not, or someone whose goal is so disastrous that they cannot be allowed to succeed. So as bad as Bloodsport is said to be, uh, we didn't, to be fair, we didn't see too much of it, but as bad as he's said to be and the rest of the Suicide Squad are, we know that Starro the Conqueror cannot be allowed to win because he is clearly worse than the alternative. So those are some things to consider for creating your anti-hero. As we do with our tips, we work on putting them, uh, creating videos and putting them up on YouTube. So that will be up uh, at some point. If you have a storytelling tip uh, and want to share, whether it's a comic, manga, video game, book, or something else, send us your feedback to feedback at myamada.com or join our Discord and let us know there. Uh, that's the story tip for this episode. Let's check in with our guest. Before we do check in with our guest, I want to remind you that we do read your comments um, and feedback on the show if we feel like they are relevant. So send them in and we will read it out. <laughs> so yeah, uh, what interesting projects have you got coming up, Robert? And where can everyone find you online? So I am Rob Luckett and uh, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram as Rob Luckett. Luckett has two T's at the end. I create an all ages uh, manga called Bumstorm about superhero farting. It's pretty lowbrow in places, but it can surprise you with its highbrow bits here and there. Um, it's about a character called Guff, and that's my current ongoing series. I'm crunching on uh, issue five at the moment, hoping to get that done in time for Thought Bubble. But uh, you can find digital copies and physical copies of it up on my site, which is luckatopia.com. I have a gum road and a big cartel. The first issue of Bumstorm, the comic about farting, is uh, for free on my gum road. I also promoted it for free comic book day, as I think a lot of other people did with like some of their freebies. But yeah, I'm, I'm hoping like, I'm, I'm in the art, um, the art dungeon. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing pages at the moment. Yeah, I've, I have written stuff in the past. I did some regular show graphic novels for uh, Boom and Cartoon Network. And then we just passed off a script to an artist and that was that was delicious. But when you when you're writing your own script and drawing it, you are like, you want me to draw what? What kind of monster are you? <laughs> and it's like, oh, no, it's me. I'm up. But yeah, I'm, I'm like, uh, I'm not even hard. I'm about a third through of the it turned into a big epic. Bumstorm uh, <laughs> was originally supposed to be just a, a one shot and uh, it grew. It, it, uh, it got legs. And uh, it's now in, uh, on its approach to its fifth issue. So hopefully I will have that out later this year. But you can read all of Bumstorm now if you so choose. It's very inspired by Dragon Ball and uh, a little bit by Pokemon as well. It's sort of like an adventure across the land. Excellent. Sounds comical. Yeah, so that. 
It, it's got jokes in it, yeah. I mean, basically, the main character, uh, Guff Bombstorm, is trained to be a farcial artist. <laughs> And all of his moves are sort of like power, like very Shona manga influenced sort of like power moves with great big farts coming out to attack his enemies. Are the moves named? They are. They they start out not named, but he uh, he gets uh, an inkling from his like uh, female counterpart, Chu Chompington, and he starts calling him like bum punch and bum kick and bum blast, which of course he announces just before he does them in true Shonen form. Yeah. yeah, I feel like it's very, very needed for Shonen, right? <laughs> well, thank you so much. We will add the we'll add all the relevant links in the show notes. Yeah. So, Robert, thank you for joining us for your first, hopefully not last, appearance on the podcast. Really enjoyed it. Thanks. And with a DC movie as the uh, the content, it's just not it's unexpected for me. <laughs> <laughs> We're breaking all sorts of uh, rules here. So. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's been uh, good to chat with you. Good to chat with you again. And I'm also going to be at Thought Bubble, so uh, I will see you there. You will do in the in the flesh. Yeah. Can you imagine after two years? Yeah. <laughs> As we readjust to uh, social life, so well, we've got some time to prepare. So I'll get some practice in beforehand, and then uh, see what happens. Um, so for everyone listening, if you have enjoyed this episode please make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a future episode and can always go back and listen to our past ones. We've now done 75 episodes where we're, we're closing in on 100. Um, so you can also give us a, a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and wherever they let you review podca- podcasts. That just helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussions. Uh, don't forget to check out our own stories on the My Matter website. So we have a number of titles already available and are working on our new release series through the fog. So we're also kind of at the tail end of pulling that uh, together and getting that released. But there's a uh, pre-orders are available on our website. And for the people interested in gaming, you can join our Gamepad Discord community. Check out our Studio 77 membership for exclusive access to Gamepad events and content from the Maya Matter universe. We also have the next Gamepad event coming up in October. So check that out at gamepad.events. We release new episodes on Thursdays, and those include creator interviews, video game discussions, and deep dives into stories across pop culture. You can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at myamada.com, and our website with links to subscribe is myamada.com forward slash story x story. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, stay safe, everyone. And remember, just check before nom nom so just in case all right we will see you all later take care everyone